Paul came to Derby and to Lystra, and a disciple was there, named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman, who was a believer. But his father was a Greek. And he was well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him, and he took him and circumcised, and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those parts, for they knew that his brother was a Greek. Now, while they were passing through the cities, they were de they were delivering the decrees which had been decided among the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. So the churches were being strengthened in the family and were increasing in number daily. Well, they've gone through, Paul and Silas have, Syria and Cilicia, strengthening of the churches, that's the last verse of 15. And now what cities does Paul come to? Derby, Lystra, and then in verse 2? Now, I don't know how well you remember the first journey, but after Paul and Barnabas left Cyprus, they preached in Antioch. And after Antioch, they went where? 14, 1-7. Iconium, and then to Lystra, and then to... So he's going Derby, Lystra, Iconium. That's backwards from the way he hit those towns on his first journey. <laughs> Wonder why. Yeah, he's coming from the other direction. So he hits them in reverse order. Makes sense when you realize that. And uh, in Lystra, he finds this disciple named Timothy. What do you know about him? Uh, was he a preacher at the time? I don't know about that. It doesn't specifically say so. Okay. But what do, do you know about him? His father was a believer. Or his mother was a believer. His father was a believer. Yes. His mother was a Jew who was a Christian. His father was evidently a non-Christian Gentile. So he was a half-Jew, half-Gentile. You know. And as such, he'd never been circumcised. And Jewish boys were circumcised the eighth day, but because he had a G Gentile father, he had not been circumcised. What did Paul have have done to him? Uh, circumcised? Yeah. Now, maybe I need to say, and we'll talk about this more in a minute, Paul chooses to take him with them. I think Timothy's going to like be the successor for the John Mark. You know, kind of the junior, you know, one to the, to the two partners. Um... But Paul, before he takes him, has him circumcised. Now, I thought we just settled that. <laughs> you know, that you don't have to be circumcised. And then Paul turns around and circumcises Timothy. What's going on with that? Between all things, God, man, it gives him better chances of teaching more people because the Jews will accept him. That's exactly it. Now, I don't believe he circumcised Timothy to save him. Or because he thought he had to be. But a half Jew who's not circumcised will alienate and, and turn away any opportunity to teach Jews. So trying to become all things to all men, he circumcises Timothy. You know, as long as he's just doing this as a cultural thing, it's not wrong. Circumcision is wrong. It just should not be insisted upon as a condition of salvation. So Paul was unyielding in the principle. 
in, you know, in Galatians 2, when they wanted Titus to be circumcised, who was a Gentile, Paul said, no, he wouldn't yield to it. But when there was no question of legalistic brethren trying to bind an unnecessary requirement, then Paul asked Timothy to be circumcised so that it would not present a barrier when he was evangelizing Jews. Now, what else do you know about Timothy in verse 2? I have a question. Yes. How in the world would they know if he was circumcised? We asked that Monday night. We've gotten Well, I assume that that's something that people told them. You know, that, you know, it's kind of, uh, you know, an important symbol. I mean, um, I don't know. Some things seem rather off limits to us to discuss. I wouldn't talk about that much, even us, even though majority of American males probably are circumcised. Several aren't. It's kind of gone back and forth among the doctors. But in Brazil, it is very common to ask and answer questions about... Um, having taken permanent measures to prevent pregnancy. You know, I remember going to one home in Brazil, first time I'd ever been there. And, uh, well, the state, it's the same word for uh, female surgery as it is for making a phone call. And this woman asked me about Sandra and a phone call. I know what she meant was, had she taken permanent measures to have no more children? Now, we just wouldn't ask that or talk about that until you knew somebody really well. That's considered kind of private. But in some cultures, obviously in theirs, it's not. People do talk about it. They're very open with it. You know, and so it may be that that was kind of an open discussion. You know, you were circumcised, and therefore you were a full Jew, or you weren't, and therefore you were kind of alienated. Uh, uh, that's the only thing I can imagine. I doubt that they tried to verify that. But what else about Timothy in verse 2? He was well-known. He was not just well-known, but well... People spoke well of him. Yeah. He was well thought of. He was well well regarded by the brethren. They, had a lot, they, they really thought he was a good man. And so Paul selected him partially on the basis of the good reputation that he had among the brethren. And uh, I've taught this, you know, here, I think, and certainly more than once. But one of the things that's impressive to me about Timothy, besides just the character that he has, he's mentioned in ten books in the New Testament, so he's, uh, you know, at least ten, ten of Paul, actually more than that, he's mentioned in ten of Paul's letters, he's also mentioned in Hebrews, and he's also mentioned in Acts, so I think he's mentioned in twelve of the books in the New Testament. Pretty central character, and a good man all the way around, but the thing that impresses me is how young he was. Now, you wouldn't know that from this, necessarily. You might assume he was younger, since he was kind of taken on as a trainee, maybe. But, but, wow. In 1 Timothy 4, and verse 12, Paul tells him, Let no man look down on your youthfulness, but be an example to the believers. I don't know how old you thought Timothy was when Paul said, Don't let anybody look down on your youthfulness. But I will tell you, Paul wrote that probably 11, 12, 13 years after this. And in 2 Timothy 2, Paul says, flee youthful lusts. And he finally wrote 2 Timothy a good 15 years after this. And they told him to flee youthful lusts. So Paul still considers Timothy susceptible to youthful lust 15 years later and still considers that people could look down on him for being so young maybe 12 years later. 
So I doubt that Timothy was 40 when he was uh, taken by Paul, don't you? Probably not even 20. I'm assuming he was a teenager. And yet, was willing to accompany Paul on a risky journey. Remember what had happened to Paul and Lister? It had not been overly comfortable for him. He got stoned. Timothy surely knew that and may very well have been a witness to that. And Paul trusts Timothy a lot, even early on. He's using Timothy. And so I just think, you know, we underestimate. We, we tend to make excuses for us. I'm just young. I can't do anything for the Lord. Yes, we can. We ought to. The Lord is willing to use people of any age, and so Timothy goes with Paul. All right, comments and questions through verse 3. Um, you know, I was talking with a brother on Tuesday, this past Tuesday, and, and you know, I don't know where it is. It says, didn't Paul say, doesn't he call Timothy a son, right? Yeah, Like their bond is so close. Yes, he does, in First Timothy and Second Timothy book. Okay, now, and, and well, my friend really thought that he was his son. And and why well, I use this passage to show that, you know, he wasn't right. So that's obviously okay to use, right? Yes. I, I was like, certainly Paul wouldn't agree. You are right. Okay. Okay, I just wanted to... No, actually, Philippians 2, he also calls him a son. But yeah, he just meant a son of faith. That's what I He calls okay. Titus that also. Titus that too. Okay. Okay. I think one of the passages actually says, my son of faith. Mm-hmm. Am I right about that? I think so. It sounds all right, yeah. Uh, I just wasn't sure where the passage was. Yeah, the first Timothy one two to Timothy, my true child in the faith. Okay. So that would be another argument. So you're exactly right. Okay, thank you. Right. Other thoughts through verse three. Were there any restrictions at the among the Jews for marrying a Greek at this time? I don't know the answer to that question. I mean there obviously was earlier. Earlier. I don't know the answer. Yes. You know what you said that he that uh, Paul said like something about uh, Timothy's youthfulness. Yeah. And like that was like 15 years. Or like 12 years after this. Well, that means he would have been like in his like 20s or 30s, wouldn't it? When he said, "Don't look at him." Yeah. Yeah. So if he was 30, 12 years before, 12 years after, he'd have been 18 here. Is that young I mean, in that society or something? Mm-hmm. <laughs> A 30 is, I don't know. Would, would 30 be, I don't know, could you say to a person who's 30, don't let anybody look down on you for being so young? An older person could. I think you could. Yeah. In our society? Yeah. You think so, really? I don't know what you think. I just always say more of like teenager to like him or something when it says you, like. No, obviously he doesn't mean that young. Maybe he meant, maybe he was 28. And so he was 16 when Paul started. You know, to you know, um, we're probably dealing with something. I, mean, I don't think 30s or 40s are considered old in our society, but I wouldn't. Mm-hmm. It'd be a little odd to to tell a 35 year old, don't look, let anybody look yeah. down on you for being so young. I agree. Yeah, but, to tell a 40 year old, flee youthful lusts. Yeah. I, I agree. I, I suspect, I mean, I really think this pushes Timothy's at probable age back to somewhere in the teenage range. Okay. And then he can be late 20s to 30 or so when Paul was saying that. That's my guess. Yeah. I can't prove that. Doesn't make a lot of difference. There are times we know of spectacular service to the Lord among young people where we can nail down the age. Mm-hmm. And Joseph was sold into slavery at 17. We know David was evidently quite a young man when he killed Goliath. I don't yeah. know exactly how old. We suspect Daniel was a teenager when he made a stand against the food. We know Jesus was 12 in the temple. I mean, so, I mean, it's not. It's, we know Josiah was about 16 when he started seeking the Lord. 
So we, we've got several things we can nail down. If Timothy's older than that, so be it. But I really think he's probably, you know, quite young. And just, you know, it's an inspiration to younger people yeah. to aspire to be a Timothy. Uh, Cameron, you want to say something? Uh, yeah. And um, when you said that they went to Iconium, um, in verse 2 it says that they were well spoken of, or he was well spoken of in Lystra and Iconium. But where did it say that he went to Iconium? Good, good point. It doesn't specifically say that, but I'm assuming for him to know that he was well spoken of by those brethren he would have known. Okay. But that may be a, you know, not an absolutely certain assumption. Although his whole goal was to revisit the churches they established, so you would assume he did. Yeah, good point. I appreciate you bringing that up. Now, as they're passing through these cities, they are delivering the letter. They're, they're telling the people about the decrees from the Jerusalem apostles and elders. And the churches are strengthened and increasing in number. So they're doing a lot of good here as they're going back through these churches, strengthening and encouraging the brethren. All right, anything you want to say through 16.5? Okay, how about uh, 6 through 10? Through the region of Korea and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they came to Nicaea, they attempted to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Nicaea, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, including that God called us to preach the gospel to them. Very unusual. They're going through Phrygia and Galatia, and what does the Holy Spirit do in verse 6? Yeah. Yeah, told him not to preach the word in Asia. Whoa. That's not what you're expecting. And then verse 7... They're trying to go to Bithynia, and what happened? The Spirit didn't permit them. Yeah. Do you, I can imagine them wondering why so many promising locations for evangelism are being denied to them. You know, here they have a plan to go here. No, you can't preach there. Want to go there? No, you can't go there. Why not? Isn't the gospel supposed to be spread everywhere? And so... Really, they don't have any place else to go. They just go straight across to Troas. Only way the Lord let them go. I'm sure they were really puzzled over this. Uh, their plans had been frustrated. What's going on? And then suddenly, Paul has a vision one night. What is it? Yes! There's this man saying, please come to Macedonia and help us. And immediately, they realize that must mean God's called us to preach the gospel to them. So now we see what was going on with that. God's not going to let Paul be distracted, not even by preaching the gospel, from reaching Macedonia, where he wants the gospel spread next. Isn't that interesting? You never know when 
a setback may be a blessing. You know, if if you really wanted to preach the gospel somewhere and the Lord just didn't let it happen, you'd be really frustrated. Like, man, why, why can't I do this? Why can't I go there? Sometimes people wanted to go to some country and preach it, and their visas denied. You know, Joe Works, several years ago, wanted to go back to Brazil for the third time, couldn't get the visa. Been there twice, done good work, really wanted to go, had everything lined up, couldn't get the visa. Well, what do you do in a case like that? Do you just say, well, the Lord's going to do that to me, I'll quit preaching. No. You, Paul, Joe concluded, the Lord had other plans. You know, if it's not going to work this way, he'll keep teaching the gospel. He went to New Jersey. He was teaching and preaching the gospel, helping a lot of people. Maybe the Lord thought that needed more in New Jersey. I don't know what the Lord had in mind, but the Lord sometimes does that. We can't get discouraged, just keep doing the work wherever the Lord sends us. It may not be where we had in mind to go. Once we see what happens in Macedonia, I think here it becomes clear why Paul wanted it, why God wanted Paul there. Now, did you notice something that happens in verse 10? It switches from them to we. Yes! We get our first we section. And that's W-E, not W-E-E. <laughs> it's good enough size, but it's, uh, it's the plural of uh, I. You know. You what? <laughs> Uh, I was thinking W-I-I. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> I forgot we've gotten another significance these days. Wow. I'll tell you what, his language changes and gets corrupted by all the technology. Right? All right. This is not that kind of section either. <laughs> but look at it. Verse 9, a vision appeared to Paul in the night, a man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when he'd seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So putting out to sea from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, and on the day following, in Neapolis. So what does that mean when he suddenly jumps from he and they to we? Well, he met them in Troas. Who did? Luke, if you say we, what's the difference between talking about them and talking about us? Now you're included in that. Yes. Us means me too. So we is including the author. They, or he, is not including the author. I take it Luke joined the group in Troas and went over to Macedonia with him. So is this the first reference we have to Luke in Luke? Or in in <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I, I forget. How do we... Wasn't there some, some letters like uh, with that Theophilus? I forget. How do we know that Acts was written by Luke too? Well, that's one thing. It was both Acts and Luke were written to Theophilus. Okay. And in Acts, he makes reference to the first account that he'd written to Theophilus about the things Jesus began to do to Oh, he makes reference? Okay. Yes. Okay. <clears throat> so was Luke in here like was he a Christian at this point or was he converted I don't know, I don't know. Yeah. other questions and comments Cass 
you think like it says that he saw a vision in the night and it says and immediately he got up and like went to um uh where is it Macedonia? Macedonia. Macedonia. yeah um do you think he like like exactly immediately like, just jumped up and left no so did they like prepare well, well, they were already journeying, so probably didn't take a lot of preparation, but I assume they, you know, you went through whatever necessary steps there were to go. You say you don't think it was immediately? Well, I don't think immediately means the very split second he had the vision. Maybe later on that day, or, you know, whatever. What so, about, like, when it says that, like, the miracles happened immediately, like, immediately? Uh, immediately always depends on the context. When you're riding a camel, immediately doesn't have the same (laughs) 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 meaning as as when you're driving your car. (laughs) Well, Well, it says immediately we sought to go. It doesn't, I mean, so, I mean, they were... Yeah, but it's right away. I mean, immediately shouldn't be interpreted as always having to be in the same split second. Okay. It's like our word immediately. From that point on, they determined. Right away. Yeah. Back to camera. Oh, he kind of already mentioned it. I was just going to say that my version says he immediately he sought. Right, okay. So they like meant to go. By the way, we will lose our we section when we leave Philippi. What would that mean? Luke stays in Philippi. (laughs) And remarkably, that's where we'll pick him up again. Really? In Macedonia. Philippi was in the province of Macedonia. Oh, okay. Okay. Most people think that Luke stayed and helped the church of Philippi. All right, anything else through 10? 11 to 15. Therefore, sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothrace, uh, and the next day came to Neapolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days, and on the Sabbath day we went out of the city to the riverside, where a prayer was customarily made, and we sat down and spoke to the woman, uh, women who met there. Now a certain woman named Lydia heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira, uh, who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the, heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she began. She begged us, saying, "If you have, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay." So she persuaded us. Now, when Luke is with Paul. Especially when he travels by sea, you almost have a port-by-port travel log. You'll notice that some other places. Where if, if Luke wasn't there, you just said he went from here to here. But now that Luke's with them, they go from Troas, straight course to Samothrace, next day to Neapolis, from there to Philippi. It's more detailed. I'm assuming Luke had a diary or something. And he's referring back to it, and he's you know mentioning the ports that they stopped at on their way. And uh, Philippi was a first-rate city in Macedonia. And they stayed there for some days. And where did they go on the Sabbath day? Yeah, because that's where some 
women were there assembled for prayer, where did Paul more commonly go when he went into a new city? Synagogue. synagogue. Wonder why he didn't go to the synagogue in Philippi. Apparently there wasn't. I think he would have otherwise, and these women would have been in the synagogue on the Sabbath day had there been a synagogue. Uh, apparently Jewish custom was that you had to have ten, res ten men residing in a city to make a synagogue. There may not have been ten Jewish men in Philippi. So, but these traveling women and, and some others perhaps were there by the riverside praying and Paul started speaking the word to them and there's this one woman named Lydia. Where was she from? Thyatira. And Thyatira was basically in the province of Asia. So that's interesting, isn't it? <laughs> Paul wanted to preach to Asians but the Holy Spirit sent him to Macedonia instead where he converted Asians. <laughs> of all things, the Lord knows where his people are. And that is kind of an ironic thing. First person he finds in Macedonia was a person from where he wanted to preach who wouldn't have been there if he'd have preached there. Isn't that amazing? Now, what do you know about Lydia? Seller of purple? Yeah. She's a woman of the cloth. Not the way we usually talk about that. Uh, she she sells purple purple cloth, which was a very expensive dye. Purple cloth would be very expensive, and so that's what she does. She's a businesswoman. She's there in the city of Thyatira. She's listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Now, you know, what did God use to open Lydia's heart? things spoken by Paul. Sure. This is a response to the gospel. Paul's preaching unlocks Lydia's heart and draws her to him. Um, and and she does. She she responds. She heeds what Paul said. Wonder what that means. You know, what happens if somebody's heart is open and they respond to what Paul taught? Well, I'll tell you what happens when she responded to what Paul taught, verse 15, when she and her household had been baptized. Now, that's a, I'm going to say something subtle here. Uh, so you may understand this and you may not. But, but by saying it that way in 15, and when she and her household had been baptized, it's not like he's giving us new information. To say when she did that, is to say you already knew that. How did we already knew that? know that? Well, she opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. Then certainly she was baptized. And he says when she was. You know, so he's suggesting that her baptism was implied in what he'd already said. If she opened her heart to respond, she was baptized. We already knew that. Now when she was baptized, she urged us uh, to stay with her. So... This passage shows that baptism is a part of opening your heart to respond to what Paul says. Does that make any sense? Maybe not, but it's, it's a valid point. <laughs> um, and, and so then she wants them to accept her hospitality, which they do. Does that speak well of her? 
She just obeyed the gospel and she's already opening up her home to this company of preachers. You know, that, that's really encouraging. Paul will later say in Philippians 1.5 that the Philippians had had fellowship in the gospel with him from the first day until now. So, there's the first day. Already Lydia's opening. The very, very day she was converted, she shows hospitality to him. It's really impressive. All right, come into questions through verse 15. I think it's kind of weird, because if you look at it, they're sitting there praying by the river. And it's kind of ironic that they're, that's, you know, that may be where they're baptized. Good place for uh, Paul to have encountered them, isn't it? Good point. Absolutely. I didn't even think of that. I hadn't thought about it either, but that's a good, good point. Yes, very good. The Lord works everything out, doesn't he? You know, I would probably put them together like that by the river just so that, you know how convenient that is. It's like, <laughs> I never even thought about that. That's good. And it was an Asian. Just so Actually, the particular province in Asia that Thyatira was in, you won't believe this, it was the province of Lydia. She was Lydia from Lydia. <laughs> Maybe why they called her Lydia, because she was from there. Or they call it Lydia because of Lydia. No, I don't think. <laughs> I'm just kidding. But, but you know how sometimes, you know, you'll call somebody, you know, Texan or, you know, something like that. Tex, come here. No, maybe she may have been that that's why she got Or maybe they just wanted to name her for the province that she was born in. I don't know. But it is kind of an interesting feature. So, she didn't just... I, I, I don't know, this is a serious question. I mean, it's not very serious. I mean, she didn't... She didn't just sell the color purple. So she I sold the fabric. The fabric that is yeah, purple. The dyed, like, the dyed fabric. Yes, it was okay. very expensive. I don't know if she just sold the dye, like the color, you know? Or I think she, she probably sold the, the fabric. Okay. Maybe even some purple clothing made from the fabrics. I'm not sure about that. Okay. I don't know if there's New American Standard or anything. It says standard. she was a seller of purple fabrics. Oh, yeah, it does. Yeah, New American Standard. Purple goods. Okay. Okay. And that's the... Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, so products of purple, fabrics, perhaps even clothing. Okay. All right. How about 16 to 18? As we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept on doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out in that very hour. Alright! So here you've got this uh, slave girl that has the uh, divining spirit. She's a fortune teller and her masters are getting rich off of her. And she cries out after Paul and, and uh, us, <laughs> Luke and the others, saying, These men are bond servants of the most high God who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation. Is that true? 
Do you want a slave girl fortune teller <laughs> declaring this about you? You know, it's kind of like today. I mean, would you want to be recommended by a gangster or something that way? You know, <laughs> this is not going to be very good. She keeps bugging him. You know, I don't know what she was like, but I remember this woman in Ipiau on one of my trips. She was all decked out in all sorts of lavish, outlandish clothes. And she comes prancing across the street and starts talking to us and talking to each one of us and, you know, more or less out of her head. And, oh, wow, it was just like unnerving almost. And she just wouldn't let us go. She was just, you know, parading around us and whatever. And it's like, what would you do? I, I can just imagine she's, she's possessed by a demon. So she probably is a little weird and just <laughs> hollering this out. It was annoying. What does Paul finally do? Yeah. And cast out the demon. <laughs> you know, it came out of her at that very moment. I, you might notice the first part of verse 19. We'll look at this in a minute. But when her master saw that their hope of profit had come out. It's the same verb. The, the very moment the demon came out, <laughs> their source of income did too. <laughs> and uh, I don't, I, I can't prove this, but I'm assuming this. Let me, let me put it this way. When Jesus healed demon-possessed people, what did they do? Follow him. I'm assuming that's what she does. Uh, it doesn't explicitly say that. So I wouldn't stake my life on it. But I think that's probably what the, the implication is. Now, if you think about that then, who were the initial converts we know about Paul having in Philippi? Lydia? Uh, demon possessed slave girl? And a, a Roman jailer? Those would be the first three that we know about. Now, the rabbis thank God every morning that God didn't make them a Gentile, a woman, or a slave. Who are the first people in Philippi to receive the gospel that we know about? Woman, slave girl, and a Gentile. The gospel crossed more than just the Aegean Sea when it came into Macedonia. It crosses gender barriers, social barriers, and ethnic barriers. And uh, so, I mean... You know, you're starting to see the little group in Philippi take shape. You've got Lydia in her household. You've got the next slave girl. Uh, and you've got Luke that's going to stay. All right, comments or questions through 18. Um, so it was a demon that was in there? Yeah, well, I. Okay, what is the word? Well, I don't know how to pronounce it. The divination or divination? Oh, uh, it's it like uh, fortune telling. Okay. I have a misunderstanding of that word. Okay. But I mean, it says possessed, and every time yeah. I hear possessed, I think of that. She was demon possessed. The demon gave her supernatural fortune telling powers. Okay. Why would the demon have her be saying that? <laughs> that like, to be examined? Well, I think to annoy Paul and probably to discredit him. He just thought it was funny. I mean, like, well, yeah, I mean, it's like. You know, also annoy these Christians. But. I mean, well. What would you think if... I mean, that makes sense. I mean, what would you think if the town drunk went around saying, Ryan's a really good guy. You need to follow Ryan. Ryan's good. Uh, <laughs> 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 I 
Well, now, uh, and, and I mean, and Paul actually let it go on because it says that she did this for many days. I know. I can't believe he was patient. Let it go on that long. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I was just going to point out that shows his patience because, man, I went well. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Now you understand. Yeah. How do you even get a demon? Well, demons <laughs> would just come into people and possess them. It's kind of random. Not always. Sometimes people get demons by being bad, but sometimes it seems to have been that. You think it's the weapons today? I don't think demons can possess people against their will today. Oh, if they're wanting to be possessed, they can be. Maybe. <laughs> Do you know any of the same people I don't? <laughs> uh, I don't know how all that works. Um, you know, you seem to have had, in the first century, the possibility of someone being possessed by a demon against their will, like a child. And, you know, we're told today in James 4, we can resist the devil from us and there is no indication that God continued to give demon casting out powers to people after the first century. Right. So but but now I don't know if when people submit to Satan if Satan may use demons in in his work with them or not. I don't really know. I don't know how all that operates. I don't really care. <laughs> Maybe in the same way the the Holy Spirit works in us because we yes we allow we it. want it or yes. allow it or work toward that goal yes I I think so this is off the wall completely but a decent book uh, if you haven't ever read this if you like something really off the wall <laughs> and C.S. Lewis's the Screw Tape Letters in which you know, what a demon is communicating, or ma kind of a master demon is communicating with another demon, mm -hmm. giving him the techniques. And it's, uh, it's very interesting. It's imaginary, obviously. But it really makes you think oh. about how temptation works. When you, when, you, when you start thinking about it from the devil's standpoint and things he's working on and so forth, it really opens your eyes up to something you might not have thought about before. It's just made up by C.S. Lewis, but it's... Uh, you want to think about demons, that would be a good scene. <laughs> Unhelpful, practical. Alright, anything else through 18 that I don't know how to answer? So do you think that demons possessed them in the first century to show God's power and the truth of the I'm okay with that. Although, I think we'd have to add to that a little bit. But I think yes. Uh, since God did give the ability to some people to cast out demons as a confirmation of their message, Jesus seemed to have cast out our demons for that purpose. Now, I would think that'd be one of God's purposes in doing that. We do know that Jesus made reference to, like, if you leave your house swept and unoccupied, it'll be worse demon-possessed than before. Jesus told the man in Mark 9, uh, I think it was Mark 9, wherever, you know, um, Anyhow, uh, I think I think there were times when demons might enter where they were more or less invited. Um, 
but there are the times when they entered involuntarily. Uh, the only purpose I could see in that is to display the power of God and, and, and almost a visual way of depicting Jesus' triumph over Satan. That be under the category of miracles. I think so. Yes. It's one of the uh, it's one of the uh, signs that were to accompany the believers in Mark 16. Mm-hmm. Cast. Okay. It's another one of those instances where Satan does something. He thinks, "Oh, I'm doing good. I'm sending demons to them," and God works good for that. Isn't God amazing? <laughs> and. Mustn't the devil be, you know, burning up right now with frustration and chagrin? I mean, the devil's been quite persistent, and he's had some pretty good schemes, but the Lord has outsmarted him every single time. All right, other comments or questions through 18? 19 to 24. But when her masters saw that their hope of profit was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. And when they had brought them to the chief magistrates, they said, These men are throwing our city into confusion, being Jews, and are proclaiming customs which are not lawful for us to accept or to observe, being Romans. And the crowd rose up together against them, and the chief magistrates tore their robes off them and proceeded to order them to be beaten with rods. And when they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to guard them securely, and he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. So, the masters were really angry. They lost their hope of profit. They lost their source of income, and that makes them drag Paul and Silas before the authorities and try to get something done about this. Of course, you know, what are they going to say? Hey, these guys cast the demon out of this slave girl we were exploiting and now we can't make any money off of her. You know, you think they're going to take any legal action against Paul because of that? You've got to come up with some kind of accusation that's going to motivate the authorities to take action. So what do they accuse Paul and Silas of? Throwing the city into confusion. <laughs> Throwing the city into confusion. That's, a, that's an interesting accusation. Uh... Confused things for them, I guess. And what else? It says they teach customs which are not lawful. Yeah, being Romans, they teach customs that aren't lawful for us to observe. You know, um, now, now, now think about what's going on in this. The real reason they're dragging Paul and Silas before the authorities is because they lost their, their source of income. You know, Paul touched the sensitive hip pocket nerve, which is a man's most sensitive part of his body. You know, uh, I, I read this, this is just cool, they say it, the most sensitive part of a civilized man is his pocket. You know, we want the money. So that's what just drives them. And so they bring Paul before, you know, the authorities. Uh, and but but they have to say something in a way that the authorities will accept it. So they say these missionaries are foreigners. 
They're proclaiming these customs now unlawful for us Romans to observe. Philippi was a Roman colony. It had a special connection with Rome. And, uh, you know, they appeal to what you see so much, racial pride <coughs> and racial discrimination. We're Romans. They're not, they're proclaiming customs not lawful for us Romans to observe. You know, by America. You know, um, I, it's amazing how we are. You know, um, a friend of mine is, is doing some work on racial prejudice in previous generations in America among brethren. But I ran across something the other day that was really fascinating. Kind of amazing that this could happen. But it was written in 1907 or 1908, somewhere into there. It's a long time ago. Written by somebody defending this, this idea that it was right if a black person entered your assembly, if there was a black church nearby, to ask him to leave your assembly and go worship with the black church. And defending with all kinds of arguments that that was the right approach to that. Now, I know that's like, but I mean, they actually, you know, they sounded like they were being very serious and sober about it. You would not be convinced by their arguments, let me tell you, but they were. Isn't it amazing how we sometimes can tend to defend, you know, what we feel? And people will use racial issues, ethnic issues a lot of times in history. And even a hundred years ago in this country. And there's still some of that. I mean, probably not. I don't know, I hope not. You know, people trying to say, go worship with your own kind. But, you know, certainly there's some racial superior feelings. That's what they're appealing to. They're Jews. They're proclaiming customs aren't lawful for us Romans to observe. And uh, so that's what they say, even though that's not their real reason for opposing them. And so what do the civil authorities do to Paul and Silas? He put him in prison. Even before? Go oh, when they beat him with the rods. You don't say that in such an understated tone. <laughs> Can you imagine? And notice verse 23, when they had struck them with many blows. Whoa. Man. Wow. That, that would have just been... Then they throw them in the inner prison and put their feet in the feet of stocks. It's it's not totally certain whether the stocks were just a security measure or whether they were like whether they were like a torture thing, or they like twist their body or pull their body or something like that. That's a possibility. Um, anyway, either way, whoa, <laughs> this is this is very. Uh, it's a horrible situation for Paul and Silas, all because they liberated this poor, you know, fortune-telling servant girl. Start doing good for people and watch out. Let me get you in trouble. What, Gary, can you read your, the New American Standard Version for verse 24? And he, having received such a command, threw them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. Okay, mine says fastened feet in the stocks. Okay. Anything else through 24? Um, why did they not get Luke and the rest of them? I don't know the answer to that. 
Where does Luke lead us? He won't go on from Philippi. So this is the last place he goes. Yep. Didn't travel long this time with Paul, but he'll be back. Where's Luke's car? You don't know. He was picked up in Troas, but I don't know where he was from. Alright, uh, 25 to uh, 30. But about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns of praise to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there came a great earthquake, so that the foundation of the prison house were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried out with a loud voice, saying, do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And when he called for the lights, and rushing, and trembling with fear, he fell, fell down before Paul and Silas. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what, my, what must I do to be saved? Alright, so, what are Paul and Silas doing in prison about midnight? Can you imagine? Not groans, songs come out of their mouth. He fastened their feet in the stocks, but he didn't gag them. And they were singing praise to God, praying. The prisoners are listening to them. They must do an amazing thing. I wonder how many prisoners had just gotten beaten by rods and were in singing praises to God when they were in prison. And uh, suddenly the earthquake shakes the prison, opens everything up. You would assume the prisoners would have escaped. The jailer awakes. And what's he about to do? Remember 1219 where the, the guards that were supposed to have guarded Peter got executed because... The angel had released him. So he doesn't want to be executed. He just wants to kill himself. But Paul said, don't do that. We're all still here. And he comes in and he says, sirs, what must I do to be saved? You know, he is so overwhelmed by this. I mean, the earthquake itself and then the fact that they're all still there, I think it just sobers him up and he realizes suddenly his sins and his need for salvation. Uh, pretty amazing turn of events right here. Comments and questions. Okay. Do you think he would have been, since like all of them, all the other jail cell people were in there too, and stayed in there, do you think he would have been like knowing that Paul and Silas were from Christ, or would he have just said it to everyone in there? I assume he knew something about Paul and Silas' background, and he's saying it to them. Paul is the one who cried out to tell him that we're all still here, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Yes? Um, do you, why do you think that whenever the earthquake, like, hit, why did not open everybody's, like, cells up? I think because the Lord designed it that way. Because, yeah. you know, you think that it would just be Paul and Silas's, Cyr- 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 but it's everybody's. It's everybody's. We didn't even escape. So I don't know if God wanted them to escape. Yeah. That's an interesting feature. I don't know why the others didn't wait. But they did. Wait, does it end up saying what, what the others did? Did it have, like the people who were actually supposed to be Paul just says, we are all here. All we know. Huh. But now what kind of light did, did they have back then? Like it says Paul's light. I heard him saying that. Torch. 
Anything else? Can we assume from this that there are people in the prison destined for death? Or even possibly Colin Savage? Perhaps. From the standpoint that he wanted to kill himself, perhaps. I mean, I think it's rather amazing to think that they wouldn't have made allowances for an earthquake. I mean, you know, you're supposed to keep the guys in prison even if you get an earthquake. Come on. You know, but the Romans were ruthless. So they didn't they, care if it was an angel that let them out. That's right, you're right, that's true. Go <laughs> boy. What kind of an earthquake opens them? Did an earthquake really do that? Or was it God doing it? Can an earthquake really open the... Well, I guess an earthquake can rattle things around and open quite a few things up. Really? You know, think about it in Haiti. I mean, it just demolished a bunch of buildings. Yeah, I haven't seen anything. Like, I've heard of Haiti thing, but I haven't seen any picture. Uh, it, was a it may have opened doors where there weren't doors before. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> really? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah I, mean, there's, I mean, earthquakes can just topple Because isn't that just when the plates under the water, like, meet or something? And <laughs> I don't know, you know the thing about uh, earthquakes, right? The earth moves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it moves. It quakes. <laughs> <laughs> Shakes. Yeah. They can be really severe. It can be devastating. Okay. Do you think it was a bad one or just a little one that might rattle it and open it up? I, I, think, I think it was about 5.3 on the <laughs> I think it only shook the jail. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't have answers to all that. Alright. Well, why don't we stop there then and we'll just pick up uh, next week with uh, the answer to what must we do to be saved. Good discussion. It's good to have a small group here. Hey, is it safe to say that ghosts are real since they thought Jesus was a ghost when he came off the water? I don't think so. <laughs> Has it just been some kind of like. That's what they thought. Safe to say that's what they thought. Because, see, I don't know what a ghost is. Yeah, yeah. 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 Well, why, why, did, why did they think that he was I mean, clearly, guess the idea of ghosts has been around for a long time. I mean, so, you know, we're in this idea of ghosts coming around. I don't know nothing. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. I didn't realize that connection was Philippians 1 5. Yeah. And then that was the, that's where my sense. That's so cool how the different. See, you know, I've, I've been studying a lot more in the past couple of years. I've been learning how the bush intertwines. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's amazing. Oh, I, I love learning more about how it is. Yeah. That's so cool. There's a lot of stuff like that. I love my
Oh, is he really? 